welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is the plainclothesman with the most men, maybe, Chris Dashu. I have a terrible and horrible announcement to make. They're putting me on leave! Bum, bum, bum! We're finally here, Mike. Stakes have been raised with Barney Miller. And with Wojo, but we'll get to that. We are talking about a two-parter, Eviction. The first part ran February 2nd, 1978. The second part, February 9th, 1978. Took a week off, and then we came back with Wojo's Problem, directed by the one and only Max Gale, written by our friend Tony Sheehan. That came out February 23rd, 1978. These first two are Gnome Picklick episodes, and you got your uh, Reinhold Ouija, Tom Reader, and Tony Sheehan working on these as well. So, Chris, I guess we should probably talk about Eviction 1 and 2 almost together, because they pretty much just run right from one to the other. Though there's a period of time in between, and I wasn't sure how long that period lasts for. Yeah, me either. Indeterminate amount of time. Again, this is one of these things that's an expectation of ours now versus the way TV was written then, obviously. You have the problem here, which is they don't know, I guess, enough to care or think that we care enough to ask. So they're just like, whatever. It it was a little bit of time. This isn't the first two-parter. This is like the second or third one we've seen. Because there was the Goodbye Mr. Fish one, which was awful. If memory serves, Goodbye Mr. Fish was not good. It was a a sour note for Fish to go out on. And the the other one, that was the one where they were spending the night in the precinct because of uh, the plague. I can't remember. (laughs) Quarantine. I think for me, this is probably the best. Yeah, the other one was Strike, just for the record. Yeah, we went from a two-parter end of season three to a two-parter beginning of season four. And then we've got this eviction. Not in the middle, kind of more towards the end. We're we're entering the last third of the fourth season, let's say. We're barreling towards the end of the show's uh, fourth season. It's interesting, like, with this two-parter, it kind of builds some momentum on some things that, again, I did wasn't... It's not that I wasn't expecting the show to finally suspend Barney, but I guess a man of his honor, right? I mean, he's a man of his word, so he gets suspended for being a man of his word. That's the way I look at it. I mean, again, I I don't know how else you would look at the situation you're presented with in this episode of not wanting to evict people who cannot live somewhere else. But Barney just, this is his, as they would say, this is his hill to die on. So the story is there are some people holed up in a hotel where they've been living. They're regular residents there. And there's a little businessman bureaucrat guy. I mostly know him as Ruben Kincaid from the Partridge family, but that's Dave Madden as Clayton Walsh. And he wants these people out of there. And man, when Dave Madden gets going, he's got that kind of squeak in his voice. So annoying to listen to him when he gets really upset, but he plays the character very well. He wants them out of there. Barney, of course, we've talked about this before. He wants to settle everything with a fucking conversation. Nope. 
Very TNG of Barney. Very, very. He really wants to to work through this, and nope, uh, Clayton Walsh is not having that, and eventually goes above or around Barney to Manhattan South, and they're the ones that go in there and start busting up the joint, trying to get these people out, and it ends up there is like an armed standoff between the people at the hotel and the police force. So imagine that I did go through the archives trying to find a similar situation that happened in New York, because this feels very much like it was ripped from the headlines. The entire conflict comes from Barney's interior conflict, which is nice. I mean, again, it's a, it's an interesting way of telling this story. Cause again, Barney normally, I would say almost always, probably to a fault at some point with this show's ability to create character growth, because I'm not sure there has been, frankly, a lot. I think the character with the least amount of growth in this show is the character whose name this show is named after. Wouldn't you agree? It's kind of shocking in a way. Barney is at times the least important character and the most important character in his own show. But he has, like, no character growth whatsoever. He's essentially been somewhat the same character, unfalteringly good since, you know, real one that we saw of this show. It's kind of, it's it's not disappointing in a way, but when you think about it, we know how Lyndon's a really good actor because we get to see it in every episode that he's in, but he is kind of one note. I think it's good, though. He's the straight man, and he has to be that straight man throughout so much of this. Constantly. Constantly. It works. This is the first time on this show where that has become a problem. Like, a genuine problem for his character, because now he's suspended. And it's like, I can't believe it took them to season four to get here. I'm kind of of surprised in a way. But I like it. I appreciate it. Because, again, now... Do I miss maybe what we could have gotten out of Abe Vigoda with that interaction? Sure. But at the same time, we've got Landisberg, who's who gets the B-plot. The entire B-plot is his, which is also kind of a testament to where the show is going and a little bit of a changing of the times, given that this is season four of the show and the season four started with part two of, or part one of a part two-parter, right? The Goodbye, Mr. Fish. It's kind of a it's it's a little bit kind of a, a changing of the of the guard a little bit with the show because they gave Landisberg just his own two part B plot, which is fantastic. He's got the scowl who's got amnesia, and of course he is so astute that he is able to uh, diagnose her with amnesia. Takes her down to Belleville. They agree with his assessment, releases her back into his care, and then he basically is kind of dating this amnesiac and yeah is this creepy it's the first time i saw dietrich as kind of a predator a little bit it was a little pred a little little predatory a lot pred- actually a lot predatory to be perfectly honest with you. well in the way that he is peppering his dialogue with you know how uh barney's like well she could be faking it and he gives this very scientific explanation then he goes Plus, those eyes won't lie. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, something, something, something. Her great big old gams. And it's like, what the fuck? That I was not a fan of. The implication's already there without it. You don't have to, like, lean into it. We should let the cat out of the bag. In the second part, they eventually figure out who she is, and more importantly, what she is, which is a nun. 
And it sounds like they had been fucking, though she almost, like, once she remembers who she is, it's almost like she forgot who she wasn't. You know what I mean? And there's that line about, how can I thank you or whatever? And it's like, well, I think you already did. And basically, yeah, it sounds like they had been having sex. Deflowering the nuns, Dietrich, you dirty, dirty dog. And when I lose, I lose big. Yeah, I love Steve Landisberg in this show. He has absolutely made this show a lot more fun by having him around. But yeah, this this two-parter, he was a little much. It was at times unsavory, <laughs> to say the least. Would you get that weird thing, too, where he wants Bernie to call him Arthur? And, right. <laughs> and it gotcha. does not... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes, gotcha. That that gotcha shit was great. Hey, uh, that, uh, I would say that reminds me of Spider-Man No Way Home. They do that exact same gag. That's stupid fucking gag. That's such like a cheesy gag. I actually think it works really well here, though. It normally doesn't get a laugh out of me. Because they always play that, like, call me this, no, call me this. And then somebody, like, immediately doesn't get it. It's like, ah. I don't know. Landisberg's delivery is just, he's so funny. It's unfair how funny he is. Because a lot of the other people, and like a lot of the other people in the show this season, have been really given a backseat to Landisberg. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you, Mike. Jack Sue this season has done like nothing. Yeah, though he's pretty funny in this too. As far as the whole, the only real clue for me as far as how much time passes between this is when I think it's Dietrich is talking to him about William Henry Harrison and that. Harrison, it might have been Harris, might have said this. I can't remember who it was, but talking about how William Henry Harrison died before he even had 30 days in office. So at least Yamana made it that far without dying before this new piece of shit lieutenant comes in and tries to take over things. This guy, he's got problems. He, <laughs> wow. Uh, Vogel, Lieutenant Vogel is his name and. John Clavin, great character actor. What a just what a real piece of shit. Yeah, just he, like he's just terrific, like massive, but yeah, but awful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's again. Again, it, it, that's, that's the thing with this show. It feels like whenever they show the other cops, like the other, the other kind of higher up cops. Uh, what was the Scanlan? Is the one that always shows up. They're like they're 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 like worse than worst. They're worse than you could even imagine because they're dickheads to other cops. Like you assume that the cops are going to be dickheads to you, General John Q. Public, but like you don't assume that they're fucking dickheads to each other. And every single cop that's not from the 12th Precinct in this show is just like the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> they're just they're horrible. Every single one of them. Well, yeah, especially uh, the guy from uh, South that comes in here, Bruce Kirby, Bruno's father, actually. You're going to be seeing a lot of him in Columbo, where he is one of the very few reoccurring, reoccurring-ish type characters. He plays this guy, Sergeant George Kramer, a few times, but then Sergeant Brindle, TV repairman. So, <laughs> so he plays a few things in here. But yeah, he shows up from Manhattan South and it's just like, okay, who's the bigger dick? Is it him or is it Vogel? They're both pretty terrible. 
And they both make Luger seem just so nice. And Luger seems genuinely upset when he has to deliver the news to Barney that he's being relieved of duty and take his gun and badge. It's, again, one of those moments in the show where he's playing against the way the character... Like, I never would have imagined that's where his character would end up. But yet, here we are. And it's like, like you said, Luger's, like, heartbroken. Like, I'm sorry, buddy. It's like, oh my god, like this man is trying not to cry. I don't know where that came from. That was too much. I hear his voice in my head. That's how good that fucking fake voice that James Gregory does for Luger. Because we know that's not what he sounds like, but his voice, that his just his delivery every time he's on screen is just so good. I know we joked about it with the Luger alert and everything, but he's just so good in this show. I never expected the chemistry between him and Levitt. Now, I know that they have spoken before, and he always calls Levitt by the wrong name, including this one. I think uh calls him, like, Greenback or something. Usually calls yeah. him Levine. <laughs> yeah. But they are both cut from the same cloth as far as – so Luger is supposed to be going on vacation, has no idea what to do. And when he talks with Levitt, Levitt is very much the same, like – I don't know. It's like both of these guys would never take vacations. Hold on a second. You went, you didn't go as far. It's not that he's taking a vacation. He's being forced to take a vacation because he has like, what did he say? Like 12 weeks of vacation or some shit. He's, he is that person that people have heard of at their jobs that just doesn't go on vacation. He is that person. 12 weeks of vacation is. A, f- a fucking ridiculous amount of vacation. Oh yeah, I'm counting out every hour, every minute practically. Like I could, I could take a half a day here, and then I could take an hour off for this. And every year, it's the struggle waiting for your time off to refill. Levitt, just I'm still waiting for that moment where I kind of like Levitt, and seeing him playing back and forth with Luger was kind of an interesting moment because I was like, maybe there is more to this character. I hope there is. I mean, again, Richard Haddam, expert on all things, including Barney Miller, has said we will like him. And so did Otto, to be fair. Otto, uh, author of the pre- the preeminent Barney Miller expert, I guess. Levitt's all about like how professional he is and how great he is as, as a cop. And when he volunteers in the second part to be the translator for Barney and has no idea how to speak Spanish. thought that was pretty good. Instead of saying to go to his house, he's calling it his homo. I mean, he's pretty funny in this episode. I, I, I like him in this episode. Again, he's not, he, his character's not for everybody. And he's growing on me very slowly. Not like Landisberg. I mean, that, that hu- the humor stylings of Steve Landisberg, I think, were... Much e- an easier entry point than Ron Carey's kind of. I don't know. Is he kind of a prototypical George Costanza in a lot of ways? Like there, there's kind of that like, like the neuroticism there, and like the whole like constantly like self image obsessed thing. You know, like it, we you know it was in the what did the fuck does Costanza say about his dick shriveling? Oh, like, I was, was in yeah, the was, pool. Was, I could see Levitt saying that because he's already had that kind of this show's equivalent where they were talking about him being like a fucking pipsqueak and stuff. So I like where his character may be going, 
But yeah, seeing him and Luger together, I think, was pretty funny. The one thing I really liked, uh, kind of an in-joke in the episode, the first part, was when Luger's trying to figure out something to do, and he stops Yamana, and he asks him if Flower Drum Song is still playing, which is a role that Jack Sue was actually in the movie of. That was nice. Jack Sue, not looking great. No, no. And it has, it's not getting better, unfortunately. I mean, again, like... With real world kind of knowledge and history, knowing that he, I think we're within a year of him passing away at this point. I remember distinctly, I don't remember which episode of our show, but I think it was like season two, maybe you mentioned like he looked kind of sickly and I think he was going through something then. But now it's just like he's, he's real. I mean, again, I mentioned kind of Jack Sue hasn't been around this season. I, that's probably due to his, his declining health, unfortunately. And he's, Really barely in next episode. I mean, and we're kind of, we're kind of closing in on that point, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate because he, he was such a big part of this show, especially in those first three seasons, first two seasons, really. It's nice to see him still like kind of around, but it's just, it's unfortunate because it's not like Abe Vagoda where we know he's off making whatever you want to call fish. The show we can't find. That's what we should call it. Interesting thing for me in the second part of this two-parter is that we actually get to leave the station. You know, this is so rare that we leave the one-two. And here we are at that hotel, and we've got Rosanna DeSoto, who I think is fantastic in this role as Elena Elizondo. Uh, she and Felipe Turek as uh, Jorge Rodriguez. Those two are the representatives of the tenants, though – uh, Jorge doesn't speak English. She speaks both. And of course, we get that thing that Danny Arnold like where she starts to get angry and starts speaking Spanish really fast. But I like her character and I like also that she's a prostitute. And it took me a little while to realize that they had said that. And then when Wojo, of course, denigrates her, you know, oh, yeah, that hooker. And Barney's like, ah. <laughs> uh. Wojo, it's man, like, chill. Your ass out, man. With the every time I think that he's growing as a character, he opens his mouth and says, hooker, whore, prostitute. And it's just like, dude, what? <laughs> I get where the line is for the joke, but it's just, I wasn't good then and it's not funny now. That's for sure. I really appreciated what she was bringing to it. I didn't realize just how many things that she had been in and still is like it seems like she's still working which is fantastic there's not a lot of people from the show that are still out there working which is uh you know a shame but she seems to be killing it and she had been in things all along and um she actually played a courtesan in the episode the courtesans and then she'll be back again Probably also playing a sex worker in an episode called Strip Joint. That's my guess, anyway. You mentioned people from the show that are still working. I do want to point out, we're recording this sometime in 2022. Hal Linden and Max Gale are still working actors. Hal Linden is in his mid-80s. Max Gale is in his late 70s. We don't talk about that enough because, again, we're, we'd love to speak to them, but... It's I think it's still great that they are they are still working actors because, like you said, there are a lot of character actors still working from this show. Obviously, given the age of the show, most of I think most of the 
Most everybody's passed away. Out of the main cast, it is really just Hal Linden and Max Gale, right? It is kind of nice to see them still working. Way to bring the show down, Chris. Who's going to be in Grandpa Daycare otherwise? Ready to bring the show right back to where it belongs. But yeah, it's nice that they send out Barney to negotiate with the folks from the hotel. And, you know, things don't go as well as it could, but eventually... There is a settlement, and uh, I keep calling him Ruben Kincaid in my head, but um, Clayton Walsh eventually figures out that there's another building that they can move all the folks from the hotel together into another building. It'll be torn down in a year, but with all the red tape and all those things, it'll probably take quite a few years before they're able to shut that down. So basically, they're going to squat in this other place. Move the problem on down the road. <laughs> That's what we like to do. Not in my backyard, baby. It's okay, Jack. It's NIMBY. <laughs> Whatever. Again, that the show wrote itself into kind of a corner. So I I was kind of trying to figure out how the episode was going to, to fix itself there at the end. And it uh, it didn't really. It just said, oh, there, like you said, it's 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 kind of lazy. I think we both agree, but it's also 70s television. So there's not a whole lot more that they can do in this. I mean, no. they went the best way that they could, I guess. We'll just move them like, all right. We Again, like you said, at least we saw the building so we know it exists. But this episode served as kind of giving you that cliffhanger moment of Barney getting suspended. And that was that's kind of what this episode's kind of big hinge moment was and then past that it's like well you know whatever we got the big moment of barney getting suspended it's kind of what it feels like really i mean it's not a bad episode but it's kind of it kind of does exist to kind of encapsulate this weird thing where barney gets suspended for an episode i guess well yeah and it's not like he's even away it's not like this the second part has no hal linden because he's back within 15 minutes this show's two-parters are not great, but this is the better of the ones, I think, so far. I think you're right, yeah. I think yeah. maybe Strike might have been up there just because that was another one where people are in crisis. The actual guys from the one two are in crisis, but definitely this was better than, say, Quarantine, and definitely better than Goodbye, Mr. Fish. Yeah, well... Goodbye, Mr. Fish's premise was so fucked to begin with. It was so worthless to begin with. Where's Fish? This is not the way this show needs to be handling this character. You know what, though, Mike? You know what we should be talking about? Male impotence. On this episode of Barney Miller, brought to you by Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. If you don't want to swallow Viagra, chew it. And brought to you by Roman and Hymns. What a fucking left field thing, huh? So strange. Yes, Wojo's problem, he couldn't get it up. Is literally what you think it is. If you told someone an episode is this character's name and a problem, you'd probably be like, is it they can't keep it up? Was it Wentworth that he was with or somebody else? Has he moved on from Wentworth? I don't know. Because there's that whole thing where Barney's trying to take a message and the woman is very persistent, but... I couldn't tell you. I My head can, and I would like to believe it's Wentworth. We didn't mention um, the guy from the last episode was a pretty big uh, reoccurring character on Alice. 
Wentworth show. Dave uh, Dave Madden, I think, was his name. Yeah, so he's he was a recurring character there. On uh, speaking of Wentworth, I don't know. Was it supposed to be Wentworth? Is that was uh, they never say uh, Barney? I think would recognize her voice, right? Yeah, it seems like he would say something. Hey, Wentworth, what are you? Yeah, was, what a weird episode. What a like what a this is one of the stranger episodes of this show for sure. We've talked in the past about the A, B, and C plot. This one definitely has the A, B, and C going on, because our A is Wojo's problem, his impotence. We've got, I guess our B might be Stanley Brock is back as Bruno Bender. He was the one who was trying to hire or give money and basically start vigilantism in New York because the cops aren't doing their job. And here he is. He got robbed ladies and gentlemen and he's like you know if i had those posters up this would probably be all taken care of but and he's trying to be nice he's trying to be nice to the police but he just kind of keeps throwing in little like you guys are so incompetent type of lines and our c plot is interestingly enough the replacement for Chano has finally shown shown up. I hope this character season four, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I hope this character does not stick around. Uh, Officer Roslyn Licori, who looks like Licory if you look it up, and looks like Licorice. Yeah, it's literally Licorice Sans two letters. And her crazy possessive husband. And boy, oh boy, does that wear thin. Very quickly. I don't know what wears thin more, Wojo's lack of keeping it hard or possessive husband. Like, what? Wh- wh- where are the cat calls in this episode? That's what I was waiting for. We have all the stereotypical male bullshit. Literally impotence and being a jealous husband. What, like, let, let's fantasy. What would have been the third thing? If you want to go for the trifecta in the 70s, what's the third thing? Domestic violence? I don't know. Losing your job to someone who doesn't look like you. Oh, there you like, go. Yeah, we'll go the Archie Bunker route. Wojo's mad that uh, someone who doesn't look like him has his job or some bullshit. I, you know, something to that effect. This is really a dumb episode. This is kind of an insulting episode, frankly. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I'm sorry. I was hoping that it would be kind of one of these a uh, very special episodes with. <laughs> actually talking about you by, male by, impotence uh, back in 1977 but yeah or sorry 1978 uh i looked up uh our officer lacory she's back twice more as officer lacory and then she comes back as a character named naomi bender including the third part of landmark which i think is the last episode she was also in the episode bugs that we talked about before where they find all of the uh, listening devices in the office. I remember that one. That was a, that was a halfway decent episode. Yeah, it's pretty good. So she'll be back twice more. Hopefully, her husband won't in the episodes hostage and evaluation. I want to know who in the writers' room thought that this was funny because it's it's not even funny. Like it's just kind of a jealous husband. Like we've seen this. Wait, actually, you know what the biggest problem is? We've seen this like five times now at this point. You know, we've seen jealous wives, we've seen jealous husbands, we've seen jealous gay lovers in this show. Why keep doing it? It reminds me of kind of like the late problems with Tales from the Crypt, where it was just like, we're just going to do love triangles for half the season. It's like, but why? Uh-huh. But Because I guess it's easy. And you have a bunch of character actors that are just like, you look kind of like a 
you could play a jealous husband, right? Like, yeah, okay, easy enough. You get my daily SAG pay, and we'll just move on to whatever fucking show they're shooting on the back lot, because I'm sure it's just bounce from here to Cotter to something else to something else to something else, and you do the circuit. Because this is, what, the fifth or sixth time we've seen Stanley Brock on this show as the third time that he's played the same character, and he's going to be back, like, two or three more times at least. His character's okay. His plot's okay. It's not much of a plot. Not too much, yeah. That whole, like, finger gun thing that he's doing actually seems kind of threatening to me. Like, he's just like, hey, if I had a gun, I could take care of this problem kind of thing. I'm like, all right, thanks. Okay, so hold on a second. So he's getting robbed. Wasn't there an episode a couple episodes ago where that guy was like a, a fucking, like, vigilante detective guy? Why don't they just be like, hey, go talk to him? And he'll protect your store. Pay him the vig. They're going through the effort to have some of these people come back as the same characters. So in my mind, there's someone in the writer's room who is keeping track. So why not just have that character actor come back? Because more than likely he is anyways. He that, that actor probably comes back again, I guarantee it, if we went back and looked. No, he definitely does. He... He was in Goodbye, Mr. Fish, Part 1. He was another, he was um, the guy that owned the comedy club, whereas there's the unfunny comic, I think. And then, yeah, Bruno Bender, the character, comes back several more times, including Landmark Part 3. So, all the way at the end, we will get Bruno Bender. It's kind of like a greatest hits, it sounds like. You know, Stanley Brock's a great character actor, so it's always welcome. He's always a welcome presence. Even if he's being given nothing to do. Literally, just sit in a chair the entire episode. Even if he is just there, you know, at the counter serving Steven Seagal in Hard to Kill, you know, it it works for me. (laughs) Right, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. It all comes back to Seagal in the end. (laughs) One of the reasons why he's calling the police incompetent is because of a criminal that they capture, um, Henry Slate as Lewis Frankel, who is in a wheelchair. And he manages to keep getting away from, is it from Yamana? Yeah, from Yamana. It's actually kind of funny, especially the very last bit when you actually see him trying to scoot on down the hallway and somebody's like, should we tell him that there's, you know, just stairs down there? (laughs) (laughs) Right? He ain't going very far, pal, but it's okay. You'll find out soon enough. The problem with this episode is that's, uh, I guess that would be the C plot. That C plot is the only funny thing here. And in it being the only funny thing, it's given, I, I think if you talk about these kinds of episodes, A, B, and C, the C plot's given, what, maybe five minutes in total? Six six minutes, maybe? Those six minutes are funnier than the 22 minutes or 16 minutes of everything else. Like, the Wojo being impotent is just, I genuinely don't understand who fucking cares about Wojo not being able to keep a stiffy, like. Well, and it doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end to it either. So I don't know if this is going to keep coming back. I hope not. Impotence? <laughs> like, what? That's how the episode essentially ends. A fucking freeze frame of them being like, your dick can't get hard. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. Like, what the what the fuck? Naked gun? Like, all of a sudden the show just goes right over. Just jumps the shark completely. Yeah, that's that's my point. Like, it's literally a freeze frame moment about how Wojo cannot keep it hard. Like, wow. 
Did other shows ever tackle male impotence in a serious form? Because again, this show is our, this is the same season of rape. Yeah, I'm sure that there were other s- s- series that did this, but I'm just not sure and when that would have been. But I thought it was kind of gutsy. Very special. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> I thought it was kind of gutsy, and I also thought it was interesting that it's Max Gale directing this. So you could have given himself a bigger part. It feels like he is being pursued by women, and he can't keep it up. It's there is like it's still like how bad do we really feel for you? You're still setting it up as like well, I gotta keep women away with a stick, and it's like okay. So what then? <laughs> like again, you know, it's like it's not like he's just this like William Sanderson nebbish guy. I just can't keep it up. Like it's you're Max fucking Gale. Right. You say as much in the episode, like, I am having to beat women away with a stick. Like I just can't keep the stick up. Like you still got the stick, bro. <laughs> like Yeah. It's a again, it's like I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> I just I don't know. The the idea for the episode is just a little... For this show, it's a little weird, I think. Is this something that other men are telling each other? Like, hey, I can't keep it up. Uh, Me either. Like, It feels like something that's deeply personal and might, for obviously, for a lot of men, be deeply embarrassing and like... But that's the thing, Chris. We have to normalize this. Well, I agree. I agree, Bring frankly. Bring it out in the open and start to talk about it. Make sitcoms about it, you know? <laughs> just, it's just the whole show. is just a, It's just that – what's that What's that movie called? Me and my dick or whatever? Me the, and him with uh, Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn, yeah. Just that as a TV show. It Wasn't that just the basis of that show hung? <laughs> or, or that show with Tom Jane with his, like, 13-inch dick, like – with things like Roman and hymns and Blue Chew, like, I think it has normalized it away. Because, like, you don't have to go to the doctor and be like, that doctor, I have to talk about something. Like, I can't keep Bob up. Dole led the way, man. Got yeah. on TV and was doing that Viagra commercial. You can get these things delivered to your house now. The po- Like, podcasters sell this. Some podcasts that I listen to sell it. So, like, it, it's actually kind of funny that we as podcasters are talking about an episode of a show about male impotence when a large portion of things that are sold through podcasting are sexual devices, including sexual contraception, these contraceptives, I don't know, sexual aid devices like erectile dysfunction. I mean, that's male impotence. What the fuck is the term that people would prefer? Erectile dysfunction. Yeah, ED, baby. ED, ED. (laughs) That's me, that's me. It's ED, baby. ED 209. Can't kill RoboCop because I can't shoot bullets. (laughs) I'm only shooting blanks. (laughs) I gotta say, looking ahead, it's the timing of these next few episodes. We've got five left for this season. I mentioned this episode was February 23rd. The next one, I would think, would be February 30th, but oddly enough, it's March 2nd. Just kidding. Uh, but you go March 2nd, March 23rd, so we're missing a couple weeks in there, just a week. And then you jump to May 4th, May 11th, and May 18th. So they just took off April with this one. I guess that's what you did. I, I thought that you were pretty regular on these you know, weekly series back in the 70s. I I don't know. All I know is the next episode has a great title. Quo Vadis, where are you going? Or is that where are you going? Is where are you going? I yeah. think it is, yeah. Yeah, in Latin. Because isn't that what Jesus says to Paul or Peter when he's leaving 
leaving to not be executed. And he's like, where are you? Like, why are you leaving? Like, don't do that. Sorry. That is about as much Bible as I know. <laughs> that begins and ends there. <laughs> I think he would have said it in Aramaic, but that's okay. So, Well, in Latin, Jehovah's. <laughs> <laughs> the penitent man kneels before God. <laughs> but he doesn't roll. That's not part of it. Why is he rolling? I never understood that part. He said the penitent man shall pass at the penitent guy who then rolls forward. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. Oh jeez. We're way <laughs> off. We're we're flying off into into the other realm. <laughs> into a Barney Miller multiverse of madness. <laughs> oh my god. Oh lord. No, that's all in the family is the multiverse, I oh, think. Jesus is yeah, right. That's the one where it like even the what the caretaker had a fucking spin-off show? Or is that the Jeffersons? What was the one where it's like the maid had their own show? Uh, that was so that was Maud is Edith's cousin and Maud's maid was Florida, who then was the star of Good Times. The, even oh. the maid had her own show. Boy, and they say that the MCU did it first. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that to me is like, it's wild that Barney Miller's success was contained to fish. You could have just been like, oh, we're just going to go off with somebody else and somebody else. Like, why was there not a Wentworth show? Really? They gave her her own show anyways. And well, uh, Cagney and Lacey, it would have been like, we're within striking distance of Cagney and Lacey, right? Yeah, I think that was early-ish 80s. I'm not sure when that started. I mean, it would almost be like a follow-up to Barney, I think. Immensely popular, massively popular show. Was it as popular as we remember? Well, I don't know. I don't know I, either. Uh, I mean, it's still popular now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was pretty groundbreaking. Well, I assume things that were – well, never mind. That's a dumb assumption to make. Blade Runner was not cool when it came out, but people won't stop talking about it now. So there are plenty of things, I guess. I guess, yeah, I, I would like to believe Cagney and Lacey was a bigger deal than maybe it was. But, yeah, it's it pretty important. I think this show – is this show important? It feels like it. You know, there's that story Otto told us uh, all those months ago about Dennis Farina talking about how this show captured the police experience better than any other show just because it shows the waiting and doesn't have the emphasis on the gunplay and all that kind of stuff. That is just more. I mean, this episode, actually, both Wojo's problem and I think the first part of eviction both have Barney passing off uh, reports that people have to do. You know, Harris sitting there smoking at his desk, feet up on the desk, and then Barney coming in and just like, oh, yeah, you look pretty relaxed. And then asking him if he can do these manpower reports. And Harris like, oh, yeah, I'll fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think to your point, I think that's the thing about Barney Miller that is – Better than most of the cop shows I've ever seen. I'm not saying I'm a cop show expert, but the ones that I have seen, I have friends that are firefighters and I have friends that are both paid firefighters and volunteer firefighters. And this is what they do. Like firefighting and policemen are very similar in that firemen don't necessarily roam the streets looking for people like the cops do, but I'm not sure they would be doing that in New York in the 70s anyways. And I don't think detectives would. Right, right. So it is just a lot of sitting and waiting. So if someone were to ask me what Barney Miller is about, I would say it's about cops, but it's ultimately about what do cops do when they're not on the streets? Because again, like you mentioned, and I think this is as good of a time to bring it up as any, this is one of the few, very few times we're not just bound inside of the precinct. 
It's like probably one of three or four times. And I don't know how many more times. But like we saw Barney's house one, two times, maybe. I can't even I can't remember past the one time. You know, the one time where it was like his daughter was there because he has a fucking daughter, too, that we. Yeah, who was engaged to the associate district attorney. So, right. You would think that would come into play or something. I don't know. But like, I think they realize like, hey, the show is in the precinct. The show is not even really about Barney Miller anymore. Like the show could be called anything else. And you would be like, it is an ensemble show because while Barney is the captain like i kind of mentioned a little while ago like for me this is more the ensemble and barney's just kind of always does the same thing so chris when you are not talking about barney miller what are you up to over at the culture cast my main show we're talking movies one movie a week every week of the year unless something comes up which sometimes things do come up folks that's reality for you we're talking about rutger Hauer movies in august which is uh not blade runner so don't but we are going to talk about The Hitcher, though. So if you're into that, which I don't think I've seen the original. I've seen the remake. Uh, Woof. <laughs> Sean Bean is good in most things. Most is the key. Most. Sometimes even Sean Bean can't write up upside down 18 wheeler but that's where you can find me and uh, as always cstachy.com c-s-t-a-c-h-i-w.com that's my link tree for things that i work on not just by myself but uh with mike because we do another show about an, uh, some more cops in the 70s one singular cop as opposed to a whole group of them i guess yeah all about the colombo over at uh, shabbydetective.com and for me I am, it's kind of a grab bag this month over at the projection booth. There are a few films that were requested. Wise Blood, The Cannibal Run, Gumball Rally, The Conformist. And then also talking about, uh, Kinji Fukasaku's Black Lizard and that ball of laughter that we call the Night Porter. So all of that is available over at projectionboothpodcast.com. And I don't have a cool link tree, but Chris, why don't you plug your link tree, man? Didn't I? I thought you did not, but maybe you did. Cstachy.com. C-S-T-A-C-H-I-W.com. I I don't know. Go to the Shabby Detective. If you like this show, go listen to the Shabby Detective. How's that? Just a singular uh, suggestion. If you like Barney Miller, you would more than likely like Columbo. How's that? And I hope nobody at home is saying, who's Columbo? What? Oh, what is this? Oh, what are you talking oh, no. about? <laughs> no! <laughs>